Okay, we are on Matthew 13, 23. And what we're doing is we're going through the Bible to all significant passages that pertain, asking the question, what is salvation? And what kind of a God do we have uh, that saves us? So uh, Matthew 13, and, and for those who will be listening to this later, we are on page 10 of last year's handout. And what we're doing is moving through the Gospels and looking at the plan of salvation and the character of God uh, in the Gospels. And we're on Matthew 13. So if you have Bibles, and we're going to start with 10, verse 10. Well, actually, let's start with verse 3. And Glo, would you begin and read verses 3 to 9? And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground, and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. If you were Jesus' disciples, would you understand this parable? I think he was just talking about farming. I think he was talking about farming. Uh, and of course, keeping in mind that that all of Israel, all the Jews, were agriculturally based. That is, uh, yes, they did some fishing, um, and they did agriculture. So this was um, just like, yeah, I experienced that yesterday. Uh, went out, and and uh, I had sown seed the day before, and, and this is what I found. Uh, the ones on the path were eating, being eaten by the birds. Uh, the ones on the rocky ground had sprouted up, but as the sun rose, they died. Uh, and then uh, some fell among the thorny plants, and, and I could see them trying to come up, but I knew there was no hope for them because of the thorns. Uh, and then there was the good soil, the soil that I really prepared for the seed. Uh, and that seed is beginning to sprout and come up and pretty soon, uh, in a few months, we're going to have harvest. So is Jesus just talking about farming? You know, to my opinion, it was fantastic the way he spread or he talked to them because they they know exactly what he's talking about because, like you say, that's the main, you know, be a good agriculture and, uh, you know, other but the main, it was that. So they know exactly what they are, were talking about. And at the time, he came with the message for, for uh, you know, ourselves. So what is the message of this parable? If you were to attach a spiritual meaning to it. Be prepared, you know. Yeah. Prepare the soil, okay. Um, do, do, how do we do that in evangelism? With your love. Showing them like like a little missionary okay. work, they'll go there. They heal them, and then if the people are willing, then they give them the message. Okay, that's the ideal way. Is that how we really do it? 
bang on a door, hand a tract, come to the evangelistic meetings, get you, get you all excited, get you baptized, and then what happens usually? They wither away. They wither away. Uh, because we haven't prepared the soil. We haven't done the pre-work that needs to be done. Uh, what, is this, what, it, what is preparing the soil like? Uh, you said uh, loving people. Um, it seems like farmers are pretty tough on the soil. Help the person, you know, before talk to them about God is like see what they need. Okay. Visit them. Okay. For them. Okay. Digging up, so digging up the soil is sick. is yes. getting them to express their need. Yes. Because without need, we can't receive love. Bring up something they like or they need, or like if you have, for instance, you know, tree, uh, any kind of fruit, just share with them too. And always, you know, especially if they have a problem, which we all do sometimes, is, you know, let them know you're praying for them, pray for them, and visit them after, too, you know. Even though after you spread the word or invite them to your church, even if they already baptized, you know, then is when you have to work harder because it's easy for them. It's they're like little babies where, you know, they're learning but they don't know how to walk or run yet. So. Which is which is why when you first plant a garden uh, and things come up, you have to weed. You can't just let nature take its course. You have to still work the soil. You still have to do some, possibly some fertilizing, some some plant care, uh, plant food, uh, what have you. Uh, otherwise, they'll dry. They'll dry. And die. They'll die, uh, or not be very good. Why don't we look at what Jesus does with this parable? Jesus' disciples thought he was just talking about farming. So they had a problem with this. Uh, Tara, would you read verses uh, 10 to 15? The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. And them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and have... They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. What is Jesus saying here? You know, I understand here that Jesus gives us so we can share what we have with others. And he'll bless us so much, he'll give give us more. And whoever doesn't share what they have, you know, they end up losing it, they would end up... Having nothing is like with the talents, you know, that they, you know, the ones that they were not afraid, you know. And as Christians, we shouldn't be afraid to spread the word, to talk to others about Jesus. Because sometimes it's like when you have a fire, if you have them together, you know, the fire is pretty good. But if you bring one out and then we stay like, we don't speak, we don't talk, we don't show uh, the love of Jesus, 
we all die by ourselves because there's no love with us. It's nothing growing because we're like a plant. You know, we're growing still, even though you're a, a, a new person that you just started and you just, you know, learning, but we never stop learning. What does the soil, the different soils represent, do you think? Yeah. I, I agree with you. Jesus says those who receive more, they'll be given more, and those who receive less, what they have will be taken. The soil away. represents the, I, I think, uh, the nutrients or like, you know, the, the way you're brought up, because um, if you're brought up, let's say, for example, you're brought up in a bad home, then that's you're more likely to go towards the, you know, the negative part of your life. And if you're brought up in uh, better soil or better care and better love and all that, then you'll be brought up within that. Okay. Or so, so certainly the soil involves the, the things that make us who we are. Exactly. What is the soil itself? Because what makes us what we are is what we put into the soil. But what is the soil? Our spirit, not our spirit. Our heart, understanding. Our hearts, our understanding, our sensitivity. So you notice in verse fifteen, the first line, for this people's senses have become calloused, and I think most of your versions have heart, hearts, uh, hearts. Yeah, for the people's hearts have become calloused. What kind of soil is Jesus talking about there? Bad uh, soil. Yeah, I, mostly the hard yeah. path, right? The drives. What makes the path hard? I'm thinking literally here. What makes a, a path hard? Well, when, that's in, when we don't have no rain. Okay, when we don't have any rain, the ground gets hard. What else makes the path hard? I mean, you have, presumably, you have normal rainfall because you have good soil over here. You have a pathway over here, and it's hard. We're walking on it. We're walking on it. People walking on people's hearts makes them hard-hearted. They, the only way they feel they can survive is to, is to become hard and and strong and powerful and equal to the situation. And the seed is really the the word of God, right? Being poured out. And it is the word of God is the word of his love. Okay? So to receive the seed is to open up to the love of God. And if people have walked on us from the time we were born, then we're so hard of heart that we can't receive that love. Uh, because love love does something to us. Uh, it makes us feel vulnerable. It makes us feel weak. It, it reveals to us our real innermost need. Uh, being strong and powerful uh, makes us feel like we can take on the world and nobody can beat us in. But when... When we receive and open up to love, uh, we become really, in a sense, a new creation. This, is, this has come really close to home in recent months. Someone I know who is very, I'm very fond of had a very difficult situation with his first marriage. And we always thought how strong he was because he, we knew we had to put up with an awful lot. But 
but he he seemed always upbeat and always strong and always ready for any situation, always ready to take on the world. And we marveled at his strength and we said God must be giving him strength. What we didn't know is that he had put his put a lid on his emotions and he had just simply stopped them. And he lived through every day kind of riding over the top. And um, in this situation, basically, his significant other had, had years before won a legal separation. Um, but he stuck around for the sake of someone else. And um, so in a, in a sense, they were not married anymore. I mean, they hadn't had relationships for a long time. And then he met a lovely woman who loved him and who was very compatible with him. They could talk about the same things. They could do the same things together. And suddenly that lid came off his heart. And he became a completely different person, a person I've never known before. And I, I see that as an example of how this works. It, I, I think sometimes we make the gospel theoretical. You know, we talk about it in abstract terms. But when Jesus talks about this parable, he's talking about the real stuff that we live and move and breathe in. If we get caught up in amassing things and protecting things, uh, it chokes out the love of God out of our hearts. Because all we care about is ourselves and our things. There was a tragedy in the Middletown fire. An Adventist went, uh, was leaving with his wife. She was in the car. He got out of the car, as my understanding, and went back. And I've heard two conflicting stories, and I don't know which one is true. He went back either to save the house or to save some more things and put them in the other vehicle and take off in the other vehicle. And he died in the fire. Fire God. You know, which is better, to live or to save your things, or to try to save your things, you see? Uh, it's that, that's the, the difficult part of our reality, is that what happens, that there's two things that kill the love of God in our hearts. Um, one is this being walked on, being abused by life and by people. Um, that makes us heart of heart. Uh, another one is becoming so self-centered and so concerned about myself and my things that I lose my, my perspective of other people and their needs. And then there was, there's the rocky ground. And that, I think, it refers to people who... Possibly through prenatal influences that we now know definitely affect infants in the womb and in the rest of their life. Or uh, other abuses and things, they become kind of rocky and and stony. So they have stony parts in their hearts, kind of real hardness. And those stones have to come out if if the seed is to take root. So these are the things that can starve us from the love of God. But I want to I want to come down to this because this is a very very important passage for me in terms of what salvation is. 
Jesus says, for this people's senses have become calloused, or their hearts have become hard, and they become hard of hearing, and they've shut their eyes so that they won't see with their eyes, or hear with their ears, or understand with their minds, and change their hearts and lives that I might heal them. I'm going to try another version here. Uh, This is probably more close to the Greek. You will ever, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Who is Jesus talking about in his day? These people who won't see, who won't hear, who are hard of heart. Who's Jesus talking about? The religious leaders, right? Which means that the people who lead us can be never understanding, never hearing, never seeing, never perceiving. And they become calloused, hard of heart toward other people. They want to rule other people. That's what was happening in Jesus' day with the leaders. Because, and and in order for us to really get the picture of this, Jesus is the most radical person in first century Judaism that had ever walked the planet. He turned everything upside down. He broke down every wall. He, he, he ate and drank with sinners. He welcomed people to his table that everybody else shunned. He worked for the marginalized. He talked about a kingdom that was completely upside down and non-hierarchical in a society that was completely hierarchical and full of power. And Jesus taught a kingdom of love, not just love for people who like you and are nice to you, but love for everybody, even stinky, awful, nasty people. Your enemies. Jesus taught that we should love our enemies. So Jesus' gospel is extremely radical. It is radical good news about love. It is radical good news about the Father. And what happens is the religious leaders refuse to embrace the love of God. They are so hard-hearted, it just rolls right over them and off of them. And so the leaders see the crowds following Jesus. They see him, them opening up to his love. And, and they realize that if this man gets in power, there's not going to be any power for anybody. Or it's going to be just love, love, love. And, and that's dangerous. That's dangerous because we have to have power. And so the heart of what Jesus is concerned about is that not only do they not see or perceive, they don't hear, they don't understand. We live in a world, and I I meet this a lot in the classroom, we live in a world that teaches us if you don't have the answer to a question, well, we don't really have to understand God. We can't understand Him anyway. So, 
end of discussion. And, and what I find is that in the process of attempting to understand, we have to do something with our soil, that is our hearts. We have to plow it up. You, when, when, you're, when you have hard soil, or rocky soil, or thorny soil, thorns are very difficult to pull up, you know that. If you've ever dealt with blackberries, ever tried to pull them all out? You can grub them out if you have a pick. You can grub them out. It's very hard work. What it, is, it requires is a change in that soil. What it does is allow the worms and other things to get in that help the soil become soft and, and enabled to produce something. That's what I think is the closest to what we call a paradigm shift. That is a complete shift of worldview, a complete shift of how we see things and how we perceive things and how we understand them. And what God wants is for us to understand Him. That is the essence of the gospel. It's about understanding God. It's about coming to know Him and His love and really understanding it. Because as in order to understand it, it ha- we have to allow it to transform us. Because understanding is not something that can take place without an affinity for it, without a sympathy for it, without embracing it. And as we embrace it, in the process of understanding it, it changes our lives. Uh, we, can, we can grab a hold of it at a distance and, and bandy it about and talk about the love of God. But until we understand it, it doesn't change us. And it's in that process of attempting to understand it that the soil of the heart gets all moved and, and completely uh, upside down so that, that we see things that we never saw before, so that we hear things we never heard before, and we perceive things in a way we never thought was possible. I'll tell you a personal story on that. I started teaching at PUC 20 years ago. This, is what's, this will be my 21st year teaching full-time. And I was used to just lecturing and pretty much telling students an, an abstract form of the gospel, you might say. I would tell them about the love of God. I would abstract it out. And as a result, that first year... I would, I'd look at my test results and I'd read the essays that students wrote and it was dismal. I got maybe 2% two, two of the class got what I said in class. And I said, there's something not working here. <laughs> there's something that's wrong about the way I'm teaching. And I began a journey that lasted, I think, about three to five years. And it was a scary journey. It was, it was not an easy journey for me to take. I didn't know where I was going. I, ha- I, I had the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, but I knew I was going in, in a new chart, in a new territory, because it began to dawn on me, you know, what I'm teaching is abstract and theoretical, and it's new to them, the way I'm expressing it, so they don't know what I'm really saying, 
and it just kind of rolls right over them. What they need is to get into the experience of the gospel. And so I, uh, I began this journey to try to understand the gospel experientially. And uh, I had several people helping me along the way. And finally one day it dawned on me that sin is abuse and salvation is recovery from abuse. I had read, I was working on my doctorate at the time and I had to take my comprehensive exams and I had to study very, very hard. It felt like my brain was being split open and I was just pouring facts in um, and it was splitting wider and wider and, and I I was just mentally and especially cognitively exhausted by the time I took my comps. And I, I had to do my written comps in one week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I had to write three hours on each day. And then I had a week where everybody had to read what I wrote, and then I had oral, oral uh, comprehensive exams. I knew I had fried my brain, and there was nothing more I could put in there that I would ever remember. And if I tried to do any more, it would backfire. I would lose everything I had. So I decided to take a break for that week, and I went down to the Adventist Book Center that was here in Angwin, and uh, I looked for any dollar books. They had, a, they had a table of dollar books that they were trying to get rid of. And I looked at this, these, all these books, and I took all the titles home that looked interesting. There were stories uh, about people, and took them home, and they were all about abuse victims. People who, uh, a wife who was domestically, her husband was domestically violent, um, a child who had been sexually molested, or, or things like that. All of the books were about abuse victims. And I was like, why am I reading all of these books about abuse? I mean, why did I end up with all these books about abuse? And I wept my way through them. It was great tonic to get me out of the highly esoteric region that I was in for my comps. And I then I put it all on the shelf, and, and I didn't think too much about it, but as I processed it, one day I had to teach a class, Sabbath school class, on the fall of Lucifer. And I had long attempted to understand how Lucifer got from pride to violence. What, what was the thought process that led him from pride to violence, because that's the trajectory the Bible paints in the two passages of Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah uh, 14. So I, I opened my Bible and I started trying to reconstruct that trajectory, and I encapsulated each step in a single word. And when I got through, I looked at that and I said, "That is the portrait of an abuser. Satan is the first abuser." He was the one who started it all, and it start, abuse started with pride. And uh, it opened up a whole new paradigm for me, a whole new perception that sin is not just an external, measurable action that we can quantify. Sin is what happens here. Sin is getting caught up in a cycle of abuse because Satan has abused us all and we have become first victims and then abusers. 
because that's the trajectory that abuse runs. And the only way out of that trajectory is to realize that Satan's picture of God that he got us to believe, which is that God is the abuser, is false. It's a lie. And to come out of that picture of God to the point where we are completely transformed, completely made whole. All of, all of the things that we call sin are simply symptoms of a deficit of love. People who are loved don't hurt other people. People who are loved don't break any of the Ten Commandments. They don't steal, they don't kill, they don't bear false witness, they don't commit adultery. People who are loved love other people. And in that love of other people, they help to transform them and empower them to leave a life, a system of abuse that our world is all too familiar with. And I could go on into the Sabbath and show you how the Sabbath, as it was is stated in Genesis 1, or actually 2, uh, 1 to 3, the Sabbath encapsulates a God who is all good. Remember, every day he looked and he saw that it was very good. Uh, all was good. And God who is all good. A God who is non-violent. Um, and that's what the Sabbath memorializes. That's why rest is such an important thing. To get us out of the economic system that we're in. For one day a week, an economic system that breeds violence in many subtle forms. Um, and that breeds power and control. To get us out of that and into the safe zone of God's love. So that's, what, that's one of an example of how God can break up, I think, a teacher who was fairly hard-hearted that first year of teaching and break up that, that hearted, hard-heartedness and transform her. Um, because the recall ever since that, that year, as I've made the paradigm shift, has gotten better and better. I mean, there are some times when it's not so good, but most of the time I get much better recall from what I've said in class. So I, the goal here as we look through the Gospels is to understand the plan of salvation experientially, not as a, something Jesus did for us a long time ago on the cross, but something that actually is here, it involves uh, us, it involves our hearts, it involves the condition we're in. And, and so, to me, this parable of the sower is extremely helpful. But we haven't finished it yet. Kimberly, you up to reading it? Uh, Matthew 13, and read verses 18... Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When any one heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away 
that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received the seed by the wayside. But he that receiveth the seed into the stony place, the same is he that heardeth the word, and anon with joy and receiveth. Yet he hath not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that received the seed among the thorns is he that hath heard the word and cared and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. But he that received the seed into the good ground is he that heard the word and understand it, which also beareth fruit and bring forth some some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Jesus doesn't spend a lot of time on what that good soil is like, does he? Does he? Uh, he spends a lot of time on the bad soils. Are there any? Are there? Is there anybody who is born in this world with good soil? I don't think so. I think life has has hit us all, and we've either gotten thorny, rocky, hard. So why is that even an option? Well, what does it take to make us good soil? See, the, the, the truth is, a farmer, a good farmer, can make all of that good soil. We moved into a house when I was almost four uh, that had a backyard full of blackberry vines. I mean, literally, high and deep. Whole backyard. And uh, my, my brother was nearly eight. And so my mother commandeered him, and together they went out with the hole, and I don't think they even had a pick. Uh, they had uh, vine cutters, you know, pruners, and whackers and what have you, and they grubbed that entire backyard free of blackberries. And they didn't just grub the backyard, they, they grubbed past, there was a... a, a uh, the garage, which was separate from the house, uh, this was in rural Oregon, so uh, to give you a perception of maybe where that is, there was a garage, and then there were buildings, two buildings attached to the garage, one of which was a woodshed, because we could burn wood. And they had to grub past that building and then over towards the creek in order for us to even be able to use the creek there and and we would cross the creek and go up a trail into the woods uh, where my brother would love to build forts and stuff so it was a, it was a child paradise when my my mother and my brother got done but I mean they had to work hours and hours and hours of hard labor to get those blackberry blinds out they did it and we planted lawn um, I think I, I think it was about five when my dad finally sowed the seed. We had to wait long enough to make sure those blackberry vines weren't going to keep coming back. Uh, and then we sowed seed, and we had a nice lawn uh, that was bordered by rose bushes. I guess my parents planted the rose bushes. So uh, it is possible to take the worst place and actually do something with that soil. So what, who does that? Who does that 
work. Could we do it? I don't think we're capable. I think all we can do is cry out to God to do it. And he does it. And sometimes it hurts, doesn't it? The process hurts. It's painful. But that's what it takes to make good soil. This is one of my favorite parables that Jesus told. Because to me, it is so important to understand in order to appreciate the love of God and the gospel and what it means in our hearts. Let's let's have a closing prayer. Father, we thank you that you have given us insights into what needs to happen to us in order to be able to have good soil in our hearts, in order to receive the word of God and the love that is in that word and allow it to humble us, to make us vulnerable, to make us love, lovable and loving people. I pray that you will take on the task of breaking up the hardness of our hearts, the stoniness, the thorns and thistles, and creating good soil. May we be able to respond to the sunshine of your love and the rain of your goodness and become fruit bearers for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.